This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 216. Hey friends, before we get into this podcast with the great Dr. Erin Massacre, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute to encourage you to get on my email list for my Wednesday weekly words. You'll get a short email every week that just gives you some words of encouragement. I also have some open slots for March in my calendar for free coaching. And you can find that on my website as well. Go there, sign up, let's do a coaching so you can see what life coaching is all about. It's truly an amazing thing and I know you'll get a lot out of it. I always get a lot out of it when I get coached. So just go to my website, juliecapel.com or veterinarylifecoach.com and you can sign up there for both the weekly words and for free coaching. Also, I just wanted to let you know that my YouTube channel is there. It is not very well subscribed to, so I would love if you would go subscribe to it for me. Look at the videos. You can see my interviews that I've had in the past with the the different people that you'll hear me interviewing on the podcast, and you can see the video from that. My daughter, Bridget, has been working very hard, so I just want to give her a little shout out for that. I've got a lot of great interviews coming up in the next few weeks. I just recorded today with Dr. Sue Sales, and I have Dr. Jessica Moore-Jones this uh, Friday, and then also um, Paige Allen, who is a licensed veterinary technician, and she's recording with me next week. So I'll have all those interviews coming up for you soon. So look forward to that. If you have any suggestions for what you'd like me to talk about on the podcast or people that you would like me to interview, just uh, send me an email, jacapeldbm at gmail.com. I appreciate you being here. I am honored that you are listening. And so welcome. Welcome to my veterinary life coach family. Have a beautiful week and enjoy this interview with Dr. Erin Massacre about habits. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful repeat guest for you. And if you haven't listened to his first podcast with me, I would highly encourage you to go do that. He is very insightful and fascinating and wonderful. It's episode number 205, if you haven't seen it or heard it. Um, But anyway, this is Dr. Aaron Massacre, and he is a PhD in philosophy. He got that from the University of Guelph. He's an author, speaker, and the executive director of the Veterinary Innovation Council. Welcome back to the podcast, Aaron. I'm so excited, as you know, to have you here again. I'm really happy to be back. Um, when somebody invites you to something, it's it's an honor. When somebody invites you back, it's like, well, maybe something went well that last time. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it went really well. I, I listened to I don't often, well, I have to listen to the podcast when I edit them, but I don't often just listen to them to, you know, to entertain myself. And I actually went back and listened to yours. So, so if that's a compliment, there it is. So last time we talked about your journey in, into and around veterinary medicine, and 
how you got fascinated by us veterinarians <laughs> as a philosopher. There's something about that study of this brain, right? Um, and we talked a little bit about your mission to change education in vet med. And we talked a little bit about motivation. So today we thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about habits and mm -hmm. habit formation. Um, I did a podcast a week or two ago about starting over because we all make these New Year's resolutions. And then by the end of January into February, you know, we're all kind of off the path already. And I just thought, you know, in order to get those habits, you got to keep, keep working at them and keep starting over. So I was fascinated by that. So if you're willing to talk about that, I would love you to talk about habits and how you became fascinated by them. Yeah. Um, so I started getting really interested in habits a long time ago. I remember at one point after class, I was talking with my professor and I remember specifically, I don't know why this is the case, but I remember specifically walking up the stairs of the college and I just turned to him and I said, you know, I kind of feel like those people who have had more challenges in their life tend to just be more productive and better able later on in life. And he said something like, yeah, that's true some of the time, but not all the time, right? Like a typical philosophy answer. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what? No, like I found this like truth. And it's, and so it got me digging into um, what is it that people develop when they go through challenging situations that allow them to be successful later on in life. And it got me digging into habits, right? Because if you develop a successful habit in one situation, if it's done well, the generalizability of that habit allows you to apply it to different other situations. So I, I found this out um, like personally when I went, because I lived in Belgium for a year, came back home to Canada and then went back to Belgium for two years after that. And I realized that it doesn't really matter where you are. If you look for the things that make you happy, instead of just kind of reacting to your environment, you can proactively make your own happiness. So I was like, okay, well, so then what are the things that allow people to do that? And then I started digging into um, this guy, Charles Peirce. And so he's the one that I focused on for my PhD and in habits in particular. And the thing that got me really, really fascinated by this stuff was um, the extent to which we need to kind of remove thinking in order for habits to be effective. Because, you know, we, a lot of times we try to do something and then we don't have what we call willpower in order to do that thing. Like, I just don't have the willpower to do it, or I don't have the motivation, or I don't have this, I don't have that. And, you know, I, I think to a large degree, that's the wrong way of thinking about habits and how to become the kind of person that we want to become. Because that's, that's for me, like, that's the thing, right? Like, that's, that's the thing that underlies everything that I do is like, how do I become the person that I want to become? What can I do in my environment with my friends and family and everything in order to become the person that I want to become? And it's just something as simple as setting up routines that take away the thinking. So there's all these really great books that are out there that explain how this works. Um, 
So James Clear um, with Atomic Habits, his is kind of the latest summary of a lot of different people who have been talking about habits for a long time. So, you know, we can go way back to the ancient Greeks and talking about hexes and metaphysics and all that kind of stuff, but that's not probably very approachable for <laughs> the majority of the population. We don't want to spend seven years reading that stuff. Um, but like James Clear's book, I think is really good on that. Um, Charles Duhigg's book on the power of habit is really good on that. Um, there's some stuff by BJ Fogg, which is really interesting. And it all starts off with this like very simple framework. There's like minor variations of it, but it starts off with explaining what a habit is and then how to make or break habits. And so what they came up with was just this cue, routine, reward cycle. Like that's basically what a habit is, right? Is there's some sort of environmental cue or internal cue. Um, there's a routine or some sort of behavior that's associated with it and then a reward. And that's the cycle. And once you get that cycle going, then it kind of becomes self-fulfilling. So for example, um, I'm thirsty, right? That's my cue. So then I go and I drink water, you know, and then my reward is that the cue, the thirst is now gone. That model, once you start looking into it, applies to just about every single thing we do. So we're always in this like cue, routine, reward system. Um, so that might be something as simple as like, you know, the, the lights coming on, which then causes a routine, which then causes a reward, or it might be something more complicated. Um, and then I, I just started reflecting on that a lot. Like, what are all the cues that exist in my environment? And what kind of routines do I have in response to those? Um, and I started noticing things like I would get tired at around three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I had the choice once I became aware of the routine, because sometimes I would like, you know, reach for something sugary. Right. Um, and so that was my routine is like grabbing something sugary. And then the reward would be that I would feel better. But then 320 rolls around and I'm tired. Right. Because, because the sugar hit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sugar hit. Awesome. For the first 10 minutes. Kind of crappy after that. Right. Um, so I started paying attention to all these cues, routines, and rewards, and then trying to direct them in more positive ways, right? So um, I would just put fruit between me and the candy. And so at three o'clock, I would just go and grab a piece of fruit because it was easier and more accessible. And so then that created the pattern that I wanted, which helped me become the person that I wanted to become not great at this you know there's still a lot of days where I'm like totally gonna go for that candy bar but <laughs> if you know where it is right if I know where it is well I just I had an experience today where I was looking for something and I opened one of my dresser drawers in my bedroom and there was candy in there <laughs> and I had forgotten they gave me my kids gave me or my husband gave me candy for Christmas and I put it in that drawer because I knew I wouldn't look in there <laughs> and then I for totally forgot it was there so I was like, oh, I was trying to break the habit of eating that candy. So I just put it somewhere where I knew I wouldn't be looking for candy. But it's, it's, pretty, smart, it's right? pretty funny when that happens, right? Yeah, it's so that's one of the, the key things that I've noticed is like, how are you setting up your environment for success? Because if you rely on your ability to make the decision when you're in that 
heightened affective state, you're going to make a bad decision. Like it's just, but can you front load the decision-making and change your environment so that you produce the results that you want, right? Because, you know, the number of times that I've been in a vet clinic and like somebody happens to walk in with like a dozen donuts because they want to reward the staff for something. Constantly, yeah. You can get really fat at a veterinary clinic. (laughs) Or pizza or whatever else it Uh is. Yeah, they're always feeding us. It must must be that connection between food and pleasure and and that um, comfort, like that comfort feeling that we're trying to produce with food. Totally. And, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that at all, right? Like it, for any owner to show appreciation in any form is always going to be welcome. Um, but, you know, if you decide like, that's not something that I want, but you're, you know, it's like seven hours into an eight hour shift or something like that. And you're just exhausted and somebody puts something sugary in front of you. Like, of course you're going to eat it. Right. Right. Um, but the, the really fascinating thing about that is that I noticed that people, some people would create rules for behavior for themselves. Like um, they, one rule could be something like they don't eat sugary things while at work. Right. And it's not, it's not a general principle. It's not a sometimes yes, sometimes no. They've made a rule for their own behavior. And so they just don't do that stuff. Like, um, you know, the uh, dry January, right? Like some people are just like, I do not drink in January. And it's a rule. And it's so much easier because you don't have to make a decision. Is It's either the rule applies or the rule does not apply. And so they they don't have to think, well, maybe this time it's okay, or maybe next time it's going to be okay or anything like that. And so, so much of good habit development is just eliminating the need for making a decision. Because if yeah, you eliminate- You're going to make the wrong one, right? Right. You just open yourself up to risk, right? And so what can you do to um, offload decision-making to some other time when you're in a better state to be able to make those choices? Yeah. So that's that's a kind of some of the stuff that I found like just fascinating. There's a bunch of other like tactics and strategies that you can use in order to get better at those things. But those are some of the kind of background things that have influenced how I think about habits now. Yeah, I think I think there's something that gets hijacked. And I think, you know, it takes time to retrain it if you're trying to retrain out of a really bad habit. But some of it is like just always there. I, I use this example on the last podcast when I was talking about starting over with trying to create your, I have a habit and I've had it. I can't even, I don't even know how long it's so automatic, but I have a habit of turning on the water when I'm brushing my teeth and just letting it run. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it started or why I do it. Like I have no idea, but it's so automatic. I'm having a really hard time breaking it. Like if I, if I go to start brushing my teeth, And I look at the faucet, I start to reach for it. And then I'm like, nope, leave the water off until you're ready to rinse the brush. But it's hard. Like my brain is so hardwired to flip. If I'm thinking about something else and I walk in there to brush my teeth and I've got my mind over here, I'll notice that the water's running. Like I Mm -hmm. turn it on before I even think about it. So Mm -hmm. I was, I was reading about habits and where they are in your brain and you know like can you tell me us a little bit about that because when I started reading that I was like well that's why I can't keep the freaking water off 
And I just <laughs> like, I get mad. I'm like, look at all the water. It's just running like for no reason while I'm brushing, it's just running. And I don't know why I do it, but I'm trying so hard. Like this, I said in January, I'm like, all right, this is, this is happening this year. I'm not turning that darn water on. Like, and I've tried to break it before. It's just so ingrained. It's weird. It's a weird habit, but I think it's fascinating. It's a, yeah. So the, the abilities that we have now in order to understand kind of where habits are happening is, is really fascinating. So, um, yeah, there's a podcast um, by Andrew Huberman. Um, I love him. So good. It's so good. Yeah, he's he's a super smart guy. So he's he's the one who has the the background to be able to talk about this stuff. But from my understanding of what he's said and some of the other things that I've read, um, basically what happens is that any sort of like planning, any sort of like imagination, projection, planning, any of that kind of stuff happens in uh, the prefrontal cortex area of your brain, right? And so it's the higher cortical functioning of the brain. Um, and then once you've gone through enough repetitions of it, either mentally or physically, it moves down into the hypothalamus and the amygdala. And it's at that point where it becomes routine, right? And this is exactly what we were talking about before is that you're offloading decision-making because if you had to make a decision for every single activity that you performed, you would be so overwhelmed that you just wouldn't be able to function. Yeah. And like taking a drink of water, driving a car, something that you do constantly, brush my teeth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of those things. Like if you had to make a decision over every single one of those, um, it'd be impossible. So you offload that, but then the problem becomes how do you then take that out of the lower brain functioning area and put it into the higher brain functioning area. And so then you have to develop your own set of cues to make you self-aware of those activities. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's in the same podcast where he talks about um, uh, how you can put two habits together that um, say you already have a habit of something like you're turning on the water Right. And that's for you, that's a negative habit. Right. right? But then can you um, put a positive habit next to that? So um, maybe there's something else that you could be doing. I don't I don't know what that might be at that. I know it's such a weird habit, right? Like it's really hard to work on if it was over, like eating sugar, like those habits are easy. But this water thing, it's so weird. Yeah. So, <laughs> so something like, um, you know, maybe you're maybe at that particular moment, so the, the whole thing, the structure of how this is supposed to work is you take a negative habit and then um, it's something that you don't want to do. And then you apply a new positive habit to that. Right. And so for example, um, you could think about something positive that happened during that day. So the moment that you see the water running and you know that it's something that you don't want, if you pause for a quarter second and say, what is a positive thing that happened to me today or something positive that I did today? It's the juxtaposition of the negative and the positive that make you more aware of your experience and make you less likely to immediately engage in the negative habit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So when you say that, does that mean that if you pile on a negative, 
that you're not fixing it. Like if I just get mad at myself because I'm wasting water and yep. be like, oh, you know, stop doing that. Or if you're eating candy and you just get angry rather than being appreciative of something and, and switching that emotion, like, are you working on the emotion part of it? Yeah, I, I think that that plays a huge role in it. So um, another example might be, you know, how often do we just kind of like pick up our phones when we're waiting in line or, you know, we have a, a brief moment and we're just kind of scrolling through something that's kind of mindless, right? Um, and then you become aware of the fact that you've just spent like 15 minutes just kind of flipping through something and you engage in this like negative self-talk of like, why am I doing this? This is this is dumb. Yeah. I'm wasting my time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All of the like negative self-talk, right? Like, how do you get rid of that? Well, you could, the moment that you recognize it, say, okay, you know, I, I just spent 10 minutes on this. I can spend two minutes on me and just focus on like a breathing exercise, which helps you then um, focus your energy on something more productive. And so say, I'm going to take two minutes and do just like a breathing thing. And so it's that, again, like the two things kind of playing off of each other which make you more aware of the habit cycle that you're engaged in and give you a positive focus to that. And so it's it's that, it's those two things just kind of butting up against each other and causing some mental friction, which then causes you to want to modify your behavior and you're less likely to engage in that habit loop in the future. Yeah. So you're linking a positive mindset with mm -hmm. a negative habit. Yep. Yeah, yep. rather than piling on it's like if you eat too much candy saying, oh, well, I'll start again tomorrow. I suck anyway. So let's just eat some more. <laughs> I've never had that experience this week. This week. Right. Yeah. That's the key. I've never had, I thought you were going to say, I've never had that experience. I'm like, oh, <laughs> get inside my brain some days around candy. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just too, it's too easy um, for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that like, you know, that's one thing that I think is interesting. There's um, there's some other strategies that people have used in the past that have been successful too, so. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, let's say, let's do something better than the water because the water is really tough. Let's talk about um, maybe changing your mindset about work. Like, I think it's a habit at work to look for the mean clients and look for the crabby people. And like, that's what we have a tendency to be, I don't know, fascinated by, or that's the, those are the emotions that we tend to like to grab. And I don't know if that's considered a habit or not, but I think on some level it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's naturally deeply ingrained in our brain because of the fact that we have that, you know, part of our brain that wants to keep us safe, that fight or flight. So we're always looking for the bad and the danger. Like, mm -hmm. is there a way to use some of these habit techniques to stop something like that? I don't know. Is yeah. that a good question? Yeah, it's, um, it's, I, I don't know. I find it really, I find it really interesting. Some of the techniques that I've seen people develop. Um, so for example, uh, it's really easy to hear someone be frustrated with something and want to empathize and identify with that person, right? And so, you know, a client um, maybe yelled at you um, and said that you only care about this because of the money or, um, you know, you don't care about me and my dog or whatever, you know? And it's easy to walk out of that room and to have somebody who wants to empathize with you and 
and that person you then tell that person that story um, and then the person like reaffirms it and says that was a really terrible experience and I can't believe the client did that and then that's kind of it right um, but I've seen some people in that moment they do kind of two things right so one thing that they do is that they and this is like this is a little bit controversial and a little bit challenging but they don't necessarily think about the particular words that the person is using um, but they think more about the situation that the two of you you as a veterinarian or veterinary professional and the client they think more about the situation that they're in and so they're able to kind of bracket out and say you just said that you hate me you just said that you you know wish that i whatever whatever what I'm hearing from that, and this is what they're saying to themselves, what I'm hearing from that is that you're very upset about the situation that you're in and you're lashing out, right? And so they just kind of like bracket out the wording because we tend to, when somebody's using words and they're talking with us, we tend to think that there is meaning behind those words and they've actively chosen those words because they want to convey that meaning. But the fact of the matter is some people use words that are hurtful because they're hurt and that's it. Like that's it, right? And so I've seen some people very effectively just say, I understand that you're really upset, you know? And that's what they walk away the situation with. It's just, that person was really upset and maybe they said some stuff, but I don't even really remember what they said. I just know that they were upset and I'm doing everything that I can to make it better. And that's it. So that's one thing that I've seen people do. Another thing is um, assuming positive intent. So um, uh, one way to put this is what is the most charitable interpretation possible? Because I see people a lot of the times will, somebody will do something and it's an action. It's not a set of words, but it's a particular action. And somebody for some reason, you know, takes that personally, like that person's trying to attack me or that person's trying to outposition me or that person's trying to do something to me. Um, you know, and so a, a non-veterinary example of this would be you're driving down the, the highway and somebody cuts you off, right? Um, the negative version of this story is that person is trying to cause me harm, right? So it's that kind of fight or flight experience that you were talking about before. Right. Um, that person is trying to cause me harm. But an equally plausible explanation is that for example, that person is rushing to the hospital because their child's in the backseat and dying, right? So there's different ways that you can layer on interpretation and recognizing that there's that moment of your choice where you can choose one interpretation or another. Like that to me is incredibly powerful. And what's most interesting about that is that the more that you do it, the easier it becomes. And so if you are always saying, oh, these people are trying to hurt me or this client hates me or whatever, it's just, it's so much easier to engage in that narrative. And so the confirmation bias kicks in. And so you're not really thinking that you have a choice, but you do have a choice. And every single one of those moments is you have a choice. So I'll give a bonus one with a, a third habit set that I've seen people use is, yeah. um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, Sometimes we have a tendency to kind of come home and share with our partner about all the negative things that happened that day. It's kind of like this unloading experience, right? The venting. I, yeah, venting, right? As though 
there is this built up pressure and it requires <laughs> and you have to let it out <laughs> you know and like that's that just doesn't exist right and unless and, you have a personality a high eye enneagram seven like we have a harder time keeping it in <laughs> sure yeah yeah but it's and, true it's true there is always a choice right um and for those like sometimes for me like i've there's been some um really not great things that have happened and part of me is like i see the fridge full of beer downstairs and i'm like oh yeah that's the solution right um but i walk past my bicycle on the way to the fridge full of beer and i'm like that's the better choice and so i hop on my bike and i go for a ride for an hour and whatever happened and whatever i was thinking at the beginning of the hour is gone by the end of it um so like you know what are the productive outlets that people are using for those um built up energies and how are they using them to their advantage because otherwise like like i remember i was having um i was having a disagreement with some people at work and uh, this was years ago and um i was just i was coming home from work and i was really frustrated and I had this like negative energy built up inside of me. And I just kind of said to myself, like, why am I letting them do this to me? Like I have the control over me, but I'm giving them the control over me. Why am I letting them do this to me? And again, it's just that like second of reflection and saying, is this the self that I want to be? Yes or no. And if it's not, then don't do it anymore. And if it is, then great. Keep reinforcing that behavior. Pat yourself on the back. But there's so many things where we let people do things to us. And we develop these like um, habit cycles of self-victimization when that's not necessary. But, you know, there are situations absolutely where people are in very negative situations and they, they cannot get out of them. And that is tragic. But there are a lot of situations where that isn't the case, that we're handing over our power of ourselves to someone else and not, not taking that power back and saying, no, like I, I have a choice. I can choose how I want to respond to this person. Um, and the, the more you do it, the easier it becomes because the less of a choice it becomes. And I have some absolutely amazing people in my life and I watch them do this stuff and I'm like, how do you like how did you just do that because it's just they just see the right thing and they do it they don't even think about it and that to me is absolutely fascinating but that is in many cases like 30 years of self-training of how to do the right thing and spontaneously do the right thing without having to like go through this long decision making process as part of it that like is is super fascinating I mean, they just, yeah, they, they have so much admiration for, for that kind of like clear-sightedness. Well, I, I like that you talk about how we always have a choice because I think when I was being trained in the coaching and trying to learn, I mean, I've always kind of been into all this self-help stuff, you know, so I have a lot of background in it, but just offering to people that, you know, it 
it feels very automated. Like your brain is very good at picking up habits and hanging on to them. Like my water thing or the driving or, you know, whatever, like I can write, like you're talking and I'm writing without looking because I know how to write. And I'm like, oh, I got to write this down. Um, but just that training, but we can retrain pretty much anything, you know, like I know on the last podcast, you talked about how you're mom was a smoker when you were a kid and both of my parents were and um you know bad like my dad was he smoked constantly and especially when he picked up the phone you know and then the old days you had a cord that attached you so he'd always have the phone and he'd be looking for his cigarettes and i vividly remember that as a kid and um you know he quit at some point when he decided it wasn't good for him anymore and he hasn't done it since, but he still, when he gets on the phone, like he can't sit, he like has to walk while he's on the phone. So I, I know it's still there. I know there's that little like habit that he, that he broke. And so when I'm talking to people about trying to change their mindset about veterinary medicine or about work or about how clients are treating them, it's it, when you say switch it, mm -hmm. it sounds simple. But to understand how difficult it can be, but that it can still be done because I have so many people tell me when I'm coaching them, oh, well, my brain doesn't work that way. I can't do it. I'm like, well, you absolutely can. First, you have to notice it. Like my water habit, I'm sure I haven't noticed it for years. You know, like I've tried to change it before and then I'm just like, you know, um, so I have no idea when I started doing that, probably when I was a kid, but to know that you can, if you work hard enough on it, that you can change it and then make that habit ingrained. Like you said, people have been working on it for 30 years. That's why they're so good at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, like another approach. So there was the like kind of juxtaposition approach of like the negative habit and the positive habit. Right. Um, one uh, that uh, BJ Fogg uh, talks about um, is called tiny habits. And so uh, the, the purpose behind that is to take something that seems like a major commitment, right? Like perhaps psychologically you're committing to never turning on the faucet again when you're brushing your teeth. And every single time you're like, oh, the, the <laughs> commitment is going oh I failed again. I'm such right. a failure. <laughs> um, so when he talks about tiny habits, he's, he says, look, just do it once and then reward yourself, right? And so next time that you go up and you're brushing your teeth and you look down and the water's not running, like he, maybe we should do this because it's kind of fun. Um, but he's like, no, like verbally out loud, congratulate yourself. And yeah. so he's like, that's an excellent yes. idea. Yes. Right. Look at what so, you did. You didn't turn on the water on. You're awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Which seems really silly because it's like, no, it uh, isn't though. Ones. But it's it it totally works because then every single time you um you don't do it and you're congratulating yourself, you're just reinforcing that cycle again and again. Yeah. I you know, I love that so much because I'm a dog trainer, like a formal former dog trainer. I did it for years since I was like a kid. And the positive reinforcement is how you train a dog. And so it's it's exactly the same. It's like that's how you train your, I call it the Chihuahua brain, but that's how you train that negative part of your brain is you've got to give it rewards. If you, if you're constantly beating on a dog, it's not going to do anything. It's just mm -hmm. going to get more and more negative. But if you're 
rewarding them for the good behavior, the good behaviors are eventually going to take over. It's not going to stop. Sometimes like my little dog still jumps on me when he knows he's not supposed to, but he doesn't jump on me as much as he did. If I, if I give him positive reinforcement for staying off, does that make sense? Like that's, that's what I think of. I'm like, you got to train that little dog in there. That's exactly what it is. Right. And so you're developing a new habit loop. Um, what, what a lot of these people, so Duhigg, Fogg, Clear, um, what they all have talked about is how once you start building that habit loop, you actually develop a craving for it, right? And so eventually, if you are able to keep this up, you will crave the reward that you'll get from not turning on the faucet. And I know that that's like, really? But it's true with any of these. Well, habits. yeah, I mean, it, uh, think of all the habits that you have, you know, like I, I love to ride bikes too. And if I do it every day, then every day I want to do it again. If yeah. I go for, you know, four weeks without riding, it's harder to get back into it. You know, my daughter challenged me to do yoga this month, a 30 day yoga challenge. And I'm like, okay, today's the last day. And I've done it every day for 30 days. And on one hand, I'm like, oh, good, I get to quit. But on the other hand, I'm like, no, I'm going to keep doing this because I feel better. And it, you know, it, it's, it's something I always wanted to do, but I would sporadically do it. You know, I yoga here, yoga there, but not every single day. So mm-hmm. you're right. It's like, it is its own reward and, and some level. You, um, do you do it at the same time every day? Well, I try to. <laughs> I haven't been successful. Sometimes I'm doing it before I go to bed because I put it off for the day. But yeah. if I if I did do it at the same time every day, which I, I'm trying to do it in the morning, and most mornings I have, um, I think it would be easier to, to keep, you know, because the putting it off just makes it sound monumental. I'm like, yeah. oh, I wish I would have done it this morning. Now I got to do it and I'm tired and I already rode my bike and blah, you know, that <laughs> like, that. oh, I don't want to do it. But I told my daughter I would, so I got to do it. You know, it's that kind of thing, but you're right. It has to be more timely, right? Is that part of the habit retraining is picking a time of day? Yeah. Cause um, what you'll notice if you do it at the exact same time every day is after about the third day, there's this like, weird like magnetism to that activity at that time right so if you're doing yoga every day i'd say like 8 a.m then on the fourth day 8 a.m will come and you'll be like i should be doing something other than what i'm currently doing right like there's this really interesting craving that happens where you like want to do it at that time and it's it's the same for all of our activities like i um i used to have lunch every day at like 1130, right? Like that was like the time that I was hungry. And I was like, oh, it's because that's the time that I'm hungry that I'm having lunch. And so then I started listening to this and thinking, well, maybe what if I modified the time that I'm having lunch? And then all of a sudden I didn't get hungry at 1130 anymore, but it was like kind of this shifting time frame, right? And you're just like, well, that's really interesting. And so then once you start playing around with this a little bit more, you start realizing that you can build your own craving systems for whatever it is that you want, um, just based on the, the time at which you're doing something. And so if you if you do something once, congratulate yourself. 
If you do it at the exact same time over a course of a few days, a week, your body is just like, no, give me that thing again. It's you time. Said it yeah, it's time to do that. Yeah, which is, I don't know, I find it really interesting. Yeah, it gets to be automatic in a lot of ways. Just like you said, like retraining, and then all of a sudden you're driving home from work and not remembering that you drove, you know? Yeah. That always fascinates me about the brain is that you can do something and not remember doing it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yeah. creepy, right? Uh, it's it gets really interesting. Like there's um, this is like first year psychology stuff or freshman psychology, but there's experiments that they've done with people where they've shown them an accident scene, um, and then depending on how they've described that accident scene, will determine the memory that somebody has of that, right? And so, um, at what speed was the car going when it smashed into the other car? you'll get a particular number. At what speed was the car going when it made contact with the other car? So then the first one, you'll get a way higher number than the second one. And people will genuinely believe that they're seeing the exact thing that happened, but it's all about the interpretation of that thing. So there's like all these really fascinating things that, you know, are um, we want to think that we have full conscious control over our mental activities, but Anyone who's lived for more than 10 years knows that that's not the case, right? <laughs> that there's all this stuff that's going on uh, back there that we're constantly reinterpreting all over the place. But yeah. Yeah, that I don't know. That's cool. Well, maybe you could use that technique when you're talking to a client that's upset. You could use like calming words in your questions and instead of you know, well, what happened? Well, what made you angry? Instead of saying, well, was there anything good that came out of this experience? Like maybe you could like use that technique to kind of de-escalate some of these angry client scenarios that we're in. It's it's really interesting when I have, um, so that thing that we talked about before, what's the most charitable interpretation possible? Yeah, I love that. That is a great question to ask yourself. Like yeah. how, how can I be charitable and, and think of this in that way? Yeah, it's cool. Or most positive interpretation, you know, right, whatever you right. want to use. Because when I ask people that question, like it stops them immediately. And they're they're just like, ugh, you know, but just running through a positive interpretation of something calms them down. And nobody has ever said to me, like, you know, shut up or I don't want to think about that or whatever <laughs> else, right? Like nobody's You're making me that. feel positive. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, which is funny, right? Because People, you know, when they're feeling negative, they kind of want to continue to feel negative, mm -hmm. even though if you ask them, they'd be like, no, I want to feel better. Right. But they see the expression of their negativity as the means by which they feel better. When you're like, no, 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 there's a more direct route. You can just go straight to the better. Yeah. You don't have to feel all that yuck. You can get, you can get there faster. Yeah. Yep. Straight to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Well, we're getting a little bit long, but I want to make sure that we get maybe maybe you can just re-outline some of the tools. Let's let's say somebody is they've got something that they want to change this year because yeah. we're early in the year. This podcast will probably come out sometime in February. So we're early in the year. They've got an idea of something they want to change about themselves, whether it's, you know, the way they show up to work or whether it's a habit like mine, you know, like, or they're eating too much or whatever. Let's say that somebody's in that situation. Let's give them, or let's have you give them 
um, like three or four different techniques to try to try to modify that. And, and I would add the one of getting help because mm -hmm. sometimes if you're so buried in there, you don't really realize it. And someone like me or, or a therapist or a life coach or somebody that, that understands the way this brain works, they might be able to help you like ferret that out. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, what can they do? Like try to do to work on either getting rid of a bad habit or developing a better one. Yeah. Um, loaded? No, I, I think that that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I know I'm long-winded. It's, it's good. It's really good. Um, so just on the point that you just made about like um, getting help, it's, it's amazing what happens when we are forced to articulate what's happening with ourselves um, and the mirroring that can happen and the self-awareness that we generate out of that. You know, and sometimes people will just ask the question like, but does it need to be that way? You know, and you're like, well, of course it does. No, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't need to be that way. Right. right. So I, I absolutely agree. Um, and it sounds like you would be a wonderful person to talk to about. <laughs> well, not for everyone. It depends on who you know, it depends on your personality, I guess. Sure. Um, the way that I would break it down is, you know, what are the things that you can do before, during and after? Um, in order to build the right habit set. Um, so one thing that we didn't talk about like is uh, something called um, implementation intentions. Um, and it's using the imagination to think in advance of the situation, what might happen in the situation and how you might want, how you might respond to it. Because sometimes we'll get into a situation and respond in a way that we would not have responded if we had the time to reflect on it. I shouldn't have said that thing, or I shouldn't have done that thing, but that person just made me so mad, right? You know, like that's a pretty typical response for all humans. But if you can imagine, okay, what's going to happen in this upcoming situation? What are the things that somebody is going to say? And how am I going to respond to these things? And you kind of play out a few different scenarios. The more detailed you can be, the better. For me, when I'm going into what I know is going to be a hard conversation, my heart rate goes up, my hands are sweating, like all of those things. And so right. knowing that that's going to happen, what are the things that I can do to mitigate those as much as possible in order to have a clear head about exactly how I want to think through and work through that situation with the other person? You know, one of the simplest tactics in that is like, well, you find the common ground with that other person and then you work from there and it like de-escalates things really quickly. So I often use that. So that's implementation intentions. That's something that you would do in advance. Another thing to do in advance, we talked about rule generation. Um, who are you and what kind of person are you trying to become? What kind of rules do you have for your own self? Um, maybe a rule is I will never yell at another person. I will never yell at a client um, or I will not allow a client to yell at me, right? If I'm standing there in the exam room and a client is yelling at me, then don't try to talk the person down or anything. Just say, I'm going to step out for a few minutes and I'll be right back, right? So that it doesn't escalate. So implementations, uh, rule generation, also uh, a clear understanding of the why. Like, why are you trying to develop this habit? Why is this important for you? What do you get out of this? Um, is it a feeling of like self-satisfaction, gratitude? Um, is it, you know, just feeling better in general? Um, does it produce better outcomes? So th that can be incredibly helpful. Those are all the things. Yeah, and that, that, that fascinates me because I was thinking about um, the yoga thing, you know, it's like, 
why didn't I do it before every day for 30 days? Mm-hmm. Like I would do it, but not every day for 30 days until my daughter asked me to. And then I had a really strong why. It's like, well, I told Bridget I would do it with her. Like I promised her that I would do it every day. Even though she's in a different city, I've got to I've got to do it. Like she wouldn't know I could lie to her, but I'm not going to do that. So I think when you say know your why, it can be something simple like that. But then mm-hmm. to continue the yoga journey every day, then I have to come up with my own why. Mm-hmm. Not because Bridget asked me to, but because I feel better and I'm stronger and I'm more flexible after doing it for 30 days and, you know, all the reasons that I want to keep doing it. So I, I kind of like that, that thought process that sometimes your why is, you know, because you chose it. Sometimes it's, it's, there's different reasons, there's different reasons to do things, I guess. Why turn mm-hmm. off the water? To save the planet, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a big why. (laughs) It's a big why. It's a good reason. Um, So accountability, you know, what you were just talking about can be huge as a motivator for performing a particular activity. I know a couple of guys who uh, one guy said, if I don't finish, you know, I think it was his um, final project for his undergrad or, or something. If I don't finish it by this deadline, then you're going to give this $5,000 check that I've already written and signed off on to a political party that I do not agree with, right? And so there's like accountability that can be built into that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. So those are some of the things that you can do kind of before. Um, During, there's not a whole lot that you can do because once the habit loop has been engaged, the, the most that you can do is kind of become aware of it and try to circumvent it. But that's incredibly challenging. Um, there are some things that people have advocated for called like habit stacking, for example. Um, so they uh, take one habit that they're already doing and tack onto it another habit. Um, so BJ Fogg, the example that he gave was he wanted to be able to do 100 pushups in a day. And so he's like, what do I do on a regular basis that I, right after that, I could probably do 10 or maybe even 20 pushups. And he's like, well, I go to the bathroom, right? And so he like goes to the bathroom, he comes out of the bathroom, he like knocks out 20 pushups, right? Does that a few times a day and boom, he's got his hundred pushups. So he's stacking a habit onto another habit. Um, So that's one thing that people can do. Um, But like in the moment, it's incredibly challenging aside from just the awareness of the activity. Being aware. And like you said earlier in the podcast, not beating yourself up for having it, just being like, oh, there I go again. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, but I, but I caught it this time. So yay me or whatever, you know, just getting that negativity out of your brain. So for example, like um, sugar, the psychological components of it and the physiological components of it are like absolutely fascinating um the key thing about sugar is that it like always wants you to eat more sugar right it's like this it's a drug insatiable desire right and it, it's way more of a drug than almost anything else right so um so just being aware of it in that moment and saying like oh here we go you know here's another like <laughs> here goes another candy bar <laughs> yep, boom, 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 like all gone. Um, so just being aware of it in the moment. And then uh, exactly what you were talking about with the, the yoga is after the activity, you're reflecting on the activity and you're thinking to yourself, how did that make me feel? And is that a good feeling or a bad feeling? Um, and why was I doing it? 
Um, was it a good reason or a bad reason? And the more that you can build up a narrative around that to the point where you can say to yourself, no, like I'm, I do yoga on a regular basis. Like that's who I am as a person. Like, yeah, we talked a little bit about cycling. I have way more bikes than my wife wants me to have. I'm in a <laughs> building one up in the basement, but like, it's part of my identity, right? Like that's who I am as I, I cycle a lot. Um, mountain bike, road bike, gravel bike, like, it's just, awesome. it's kind of part of who I am. Yeah. Um, well, and and I, so the, the more you do it, the more you love it, right? Like mm -hmm. I find that it's like, oh, I went 10 miles. Well, 15's better. I'm going to keep going <laughs> or 20 or whatever. Yeah. You just keep going. So the, the, the package of these things is that you're able to take control of your life in a way that we are far too often reactive to the things that are happening to us. But the more proactive we can be by like, just hit pause on Netflix just for five minutes, you know, and like think through some of these things that are important to you. Because we, we too often use things like Netflix or candy or whatever as our way of like decompressing when all it does is it just hits pause on the cycle that's going to start again the next day. And so if we can just say, no, like I'm just going to sit back and reflect on this for a moment and say, what are the good things that happened to me today? How am I going to use tomorrow to make more of those good things happen? Like that's all it takes. You know, some people have like a daily diary journal that they use in order to keep track of these things. I know, you know, that was what Marcus Aurelius did on the battlefield. Um, and so if he can do it on the battlefield, then maybe we can do it at home. When we're at, like, <laughs> at the veterinary home. hospital, which sometimes is a battlefield, right? <laughs> sometimes is a battlefield, yeah. But I, I think that all of these are going to make us happier, more well-adjusted people. Um, the more that we can focus on the things that matter to us and build more of those into the routines that we have, the happier we'll be overall. And the less like decision-making and like, I don't know, negative self-talk that we'll engage in when we don't do the things that we want. We'll just keep shooting for the things that we do want. Oh, that's genius. That's a perfect place to to end, don't you think? I, well, as you know, I could keep talking with you for a long well, time. Well, we'll do yeah. it again. Like I, yeah. I told you this the first time you were on. I'm like, I'm just going to keep having you back as my regular guest and we're going to be BFFs pretty soon. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. This, all this stuff is so fun for me. Uh, there's, I mean, maybe there's like a nerd thing. I'm not very nerdy. I don't think, but there's something nerdy about all this brain, brain science and fascination with the way that humans work. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool about that. I can't imagine somebody not being interested in this, but yeah. I know, I know, but some people aren't right. <laughs> But if they're not interested, they're probably not listening to us today. <laughs> they probably turned us off uh, about 60 minutes ago. All right. Well, I thank you so much for being here. And I and I mean it when I say we'll do this again. We'll come up with something else to talk about. Um, do you want to tell people, do you want people contacting you? Do you want to tell them where to find you? I know we did that on the last podcast, but do you want to say it again? Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely... Um... The one that I'm most active on, uh, although I, my activity level is not exactly very strong, but um, LinkedIn is definitely. <laughs> That's because you're doing more important things. You're writing, <laughs> and training your brain to be better. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Um, but yeah, so LinkedIn is good. Um, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been great, delightful, wonderful, all the things. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> 
All right. Thank you all for being here this week. And uh, I'll talk to you again next week. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye, Aaron. Bye. Thank you.